to the Academy Podcast, a podcast dedicated to sharing rich content for the purpose of spiritual growth. I'm your host, Shalom Agderab. The Academy creates transformative space for people to connect with God, self, others, and creation for the sake of the world. To learn more about the Academy, visit academy.upperroom.org. Safia Fosua is a retired professor of spiritual formation at Wesley Seminary at Indiana Wesleyan University and former director of transformational preaching ministries at Discipleship Ministries of the United Methodist Church. Safia and her husband, the Reverend Dr. Kwezi Kana, also served as missionaries to Ghana, West Africa, assisting the Methodist Church of Ghana in curriculum writing, leadership development, and local pastors' education. Sophia has served churches in Iowa and New Jersey and is in frequent demand as a preacher, speaker, Bible study leader, and worship designer for national events. In addition to her professional teaching roles, Sophia and her husband have two adult children and are the proud grandparents of two grandchildren. In spare moments, Sophia writes prayers and Christian poetry, as well as engages the ancient practices of needlecrafting, quilting, and batik. It is summer. It is a break from school. It is a time for renewal and perhaps a space for healing. The following excerpt is from a series on healing offered at Spiritual Formation for Today's World in 2021. This is always a timely topic, but Sophia spends a considerable portion on fear. The two are connected in the story of the Gadarene demoniac, but how are fear and healing connected in your own life? Listen on, dear one, and as you listen, breathe deeply and expand gently. May your fears float to the surface so they can be seen in the light of spirits all surrounding grace. The healing text that I've chosen for this afternoon as we have a conversation about fear is the Gadarene demoniac. The Gadarene demoniac, it's, it's a curious little passage. And when I teach preaching, I often like to give this passage or the 10 lepers to our, our students because at some point in our preaching, we've got to grapple with these kinds of texts, the, 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 the miraculous, the unexplainable, the thing that we can't quite put our hands around. And the Gadarene demoniac is, is such. We, we have to begin with the fact that it took place in the land of the Gerasenes, as it was called, or Gadara, as some texts might call it. But shorthand, it was in Gentile territory that this thing took place. We find that on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, that the people who were there were kind of uh, mixed up on the on the on the side that we're used to dealing with with Judea, Palestine, uh, and you know Judea and Galilee and and Nazareth and all that. We're used to dealing with mostly Jews over there, but on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, they were mixed a little bit, and it was predominantly Gentile. There were still little pockets and communities of Jewish people living there. And as you would guess, they did not necessarily get along with one another. So when Jesus is getting off the boat at Gadara, at the Gerasenes, or however your, 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 your translation words it, he is a foreigner 
or he is an outsider getting off in Gentile territory. And this is a cross-cultural encounter. So I want to put that elephant right in the room right now. This begins as a cross-cultural encounter. So as you would expect, um, when he's getting off the boat, the people may say, oh, here they are again. Or, oh, what do you want here? Or, you know, there's lots of questions when people enter each other's territory. So Jesus has gone out of his way for a cross-cultural encounter. Now, this is a, a passage that's full of fear upon fear upon fear. But before I get into the actual encounter with the demoniac, let's back it up a little bit. While Jesus and the disciples are coming across, there's a storm at sea. And Jesus tells it, peace be still. They say things like, what manner of man is this? That even the winds and the seas obey him. So they get off the boat scared. They've already got an attitude of fear when they get off the boat because they've just been in a bad storm. They get off the boat and who meets them but the resident demoniac. And the, 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 the scriptures tell us that, that everybody's afraid of him. Now, I read, and sometimes I read in parallel, I use, use one of those uh, harmonies of the Gospels or sits, uh, synthesis of the Gospels or what have you, and, and, and Mark will tell you one thing and Luke will tell you another thing, and Matthew often adds something altogether different. When you put the accounts of this passage together, this man is scary. The townspeople are afraid of him. They have locked him up or they thought, because, but he kept breaking the chains. They put him in the graveyard, which is where dead folks go. He howls. So now I'm starting to think, is he afraid? Is there something going on inside of this man? The reason he's howling and breaking things and ripping and tearing and terrorizing the folks and he doesn't wear clothes. So here we are, we've got a man that is fearsome and he meets the landing party. So, you know, here he comes. And I've been with uh, people who are not in full possession of their mind at different times in life. And there are some, you know, not to be afraid that they, they, they probably have no harm on their minds. But there's some people come up in my face and I'm a little worried about it. So here we've got disciples got off the boat scared. They come in, they're met by fear. And then there's this conversation. Again, there's this conversation that goes on with um, Jesus and the, the demoniac. So now we've got a question. Remember, we talked about questions from God this morning. We've got another question because Jesus asked him, what is your name? What is your name? We're also hearing questions again, and it's like the question that the angel asked Jacob during the wrestling match. Now, here is where the modern and the postmodern mind is want to wrestle, because if we're reading this carefully, this man acts like he's out of his mind, and yet he's been asked, being asked what is his name, and so when the word legion comes out, for we are many, who's talking? Who's talking? So now we've got a chain reaction. They have this conversation, and the, 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 the spirits that, in, that, that caused this man trouble begged to be cast into the pigs. Now, 
pigs are another giveaway that you're in Gentile territory, okay? And the other thing you need to know about this uh, whole thing, one of the Bible commentaries and one of the gospel writers says there's about 2,000 pigs out there. Why? Because this particular region of the Gentile territory, part of the Decapolis, the 10 major cities of, of the Philistines that used to be, you know, really big stuff, and now they've become something else under Roman rule, this is kind of like the, the food producing area of the country. So now, losing a couple of pigs for a household, that's one thing. But losing 2,000 pigs for a community that comes there for pigs, that you got a crisis on your hands now. So the pigs have the spirits. The spirits have, have so tormented the pigs that they ran over the cliff and, and died. So now you've really got fear because the herds person, and I want to say herdsmen, but I think girls were doing some things back in these days too. The herds person is afraid. This person runs into the town. The townspeople are afraid. And how does it end up? They say, Jesus, and one of the translations was so good, you got to leave our neighborhood. They begged him to leave. And um, the, the, the term that's used there in the Greek is almost an iterative. They began to beg him or they were begging him, which means that they're, they're talking and they're talking and they're talking. I smell a riot if he didn't leave. So he gets in the boat, he goes back to the other side. So, so, so what, 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 what do we learn from this passage of the, of the, of the gathering demoniac? If we find out from this thing, fear makes us sick. This man is sick. The pigs are gone. The, the disciples are rattled. Fear makes us sick. I think we can testify during this last uh, 15 months or however many months it's been, I've lost track, that fear makes us sick. And fear isolates and alienates. The poor man is out in the tombs. He's in the graveyard. They can't, they, they can't handle him anymore. And he's chained up out there. He's isolated. He's alienated with all the voices talking in his head. Fear makes people afraid of us. They were afraid of the demoniac. And then after the pigs went over the cliff, they were afraid of Jesus. And I think their fear might have been mingled a little bit with anger because remember 2000 pigs in an area that produces food, you have messed with us economically. Jesus, you have come in here. You're not even from here. You've done all this stuff. And now what are we going to eat? We can't eat that's over the hill. So we've got this going on and we find out that fear makes us irrational. If they had other things that needed to be healed, they should have been asking Jesus to stay. If they had other people who were tormented, they should have been asking Jesus to stay. Instead, they are focused on, well, they might've been focused on economics and there's a whole nother story in that that we could kind of take to the bank, but they were focused on what they lost and lost sight of the fact that they got this man back in his right mind, ready to, to, to be with people again. And, and as you can see in the picture here, and this is from one of the art masters, he's ready to put his clothes back on. So now we wonder about the things that we fear. We looked at this gathering demoniac scene, and, and again, the scene starts with the storm at sea. And you get off with disciples already rattled because they thought they were going to die out there on the Sea of Galilee. And then it continues with an encounter and another encounter and pigs over the cliff and all of that. But what do we fear? 
Well, in one of the books that we recommended for you for this particular module, for this module on healing, we, we looked at Eric Law and Fear Not. And we found out that there were things that we were fearing before the pandemic. I, I put something I fear up there. I hope y'all recognize him. We, we, we had things that we were fearing before the pandemic and we have things that developed during the pandemic. And so here we are almost like the scene with the gathering demoniac, fear upon fear upon fear, piled on fear. And then it makes us sick. It makes us irrational. It isolates us. It alienates us. And there's all these chain reactions that go on. So as Eric was talking about, let's go back before we get to this. As Eric was talking about fears before the pandemic, in Fear Not, in one of those chapters in the back of the book where he's, he had done all this survey work, and he wrote this book before the pandemic broke out. He wrote it originally, the, the book was written after 9-11 as a response to the fear that was in the air, as a response to the fear that was in the air. I was in uh, New Jersey during 9-11. I was serving in Asbury Park, and some of you know the place, and especially if you ever went to, you know, the park during the summertime, that's the, the fond memory that people talk about, and uh, I was having my 50th birthday, and I'm going to confess, I was grumbling because we were that close to New York. I was having a 50th birthday. My husband was stuck in a staff retreat because he was part of the New Jersey cabinet at that time, and I decided that I was going to get on one of those little trains or, or buses or what have you and ride over to New York and play downtown in the city and maybe buy a silly hat or something. And so I had mapped out my 50th birthday, especially since I had to spend it alone without my husband. And I, I'm going to go out and I'm going to do things. In comes the UMW and they insist that I had to be the program that week. And I'm thinking, can we do it in October? Can we do it in August? No, no, no. We need you in September. They were insistent and I decided not to fight. And so I am getting dressed for the UMW program when 9-11 breaks out. And uh, my mother, who was living nearby at the time, she called and she said, a plane just hit a building. And I'm thinking to myself, what clumsiness is this? Then as I'm watching the live reports from the newscasters in uh, New Jersey, the second plane hits and I realize something else is going on. Well, you know, the fear that rose up we are under attack. We don't know how to be under attack. We've never been under attack before. We usually do the attacking. You know, so there's a lot of things that went on in the country during that time and a lot of things that went on that showed fear afterwards. The news reports, and maybe your news didn't pick it up, but I'm in New Jersey, New York, and we're getting this joint news. And the violence that broke out against people that they thought were from the Middle East, not actually from the Middle East sometimes, but they thought they were from the Middle East because they looked different or they dressed differently. And in some cases, there were, there were Sikhs that were being blamed for the attack and just because they had the turban. And so we've got people chasing one another around parking lots with cars. There's terrible fear going on. Eric wrote this book to address that fear and was surprised when it didn't get traction. And then when we had our most recent outbreak of fear a few years ago, he revised and released the book again. So these lists that he have in, has in the back, the, the list that he have, has there are lists of things that Americans were afraid of in 2016, 2017, 2018. So let me read you a part from the 2018 list. 
the top 10 things that people feared in 2018. Number one was corrupt government. They were afraid of pollution of water. They were afraid of not having enough money for the future. They were afraid of the people I love becoming seriously sick. The people I love dying, they were afraid of air pollution. So water pollution's on, their, on, on the list and then air pollution's on the list. They were afraid that plant or animal species would go extinct. And there's this beginning uh, brooding of responsibility for the, for the planet you know, that, that's coming up in here. They were afraid of global warming and climate change and they were afraid of high medical bills. So I looked at that list and this is 2018 listing and I, not that much change between 2018 and 2020. So I'm, I'm kind of saying this is what we went into the pandemic with in the climate, in the air, in the breeze, in the conversation, in the rhetoric, in the pushbacks and all the other things that we were getting and are getting at that time. Now, since the pandemic, we fear death. And it's, it's not an illegitimate fear. And so the thing I, I wanna really say at this particular point in our conversation is not all fear is irrational. There are some things we should fear. There are some things we should have a healthy respect for as we called it in my neighborhood and, and, and know to walk wisely around those particular uh, areas, the concepts, the danger, the whatever it is. So not all fear is irrational, but some of the fears that we're dealing with right now have uh, past rationality. We fear death. That's a rational fear. We fear that the people I love could die. That's, that's a, that can happen. That's a rational fear these days. Now, here's where the irrationality comes in for some people, but not for all fear of not having enough. Were you surprised that people did a run on toilet tissue? I was. I thought that they would go after the bread and the milk and the, um, uh, when we lived in Marion, Indiana, and, and there would be a storm brewing or a big snowstorm about to come, you'd notice the potatoes and onions would disappear <laughs> you know, on the shelves, along with the bread and the milk. And, and then there were certain snacks that would disappear. But when we talked about fear of not having enough and this big national run on paper towels and toilet tissue, we're wondering how much of this is a legitimate fear because there were some people who were about to become more food insecure. So there was a fear of not having enough and others who were just worried, am I gonna have the, the kind of toilet tissue I want? Then another fear, the fear of either dying alone or that your loved one would die alone. Again, that's a rational fear. That's a rational fear. That's a, a thing that we have hated most about this season that we're in. Fear of high medical bills. Um, again, it's, it's a rational fear. And then fear of loss, fear of physical loss, and fear of personal loss. There are people who, once the moratoriums are lifted, will lose their homes. It's a legitimate fear. There are people who are having long COVID. I know one in particular, uh, a dear friend's husband had COVID and it's long COVID and he's still carrying an oxygen bottle around with him. So that's personal physical loss. There are people who are losing um, their ability to provide for themselves. You know, so there's, there's fears out there. 
And then there, there's this other fear that I just want to talk about right now. Fear that we might lose our freedoms. Fear that we might lose our freedoms. That something will be taken from us in this time of helplessness. Really, that fear is, is rooted in the whole issue of vulnerability and helplessness. And so I'm not ridiculing people who say those things. I'm pointing out that they have their fears and they're based in another kind of fear and that I don't like to not have control. I don't like to not be able to control what's happening in my life, with my family, with our household, with our finances, with our whatever. And so they vocalize it in fear of uh, losing their freedoms. And if you've ever been to uh, Ghana or even to West Africa, the Jinyame is a common symbol. And in fact, uh, because I graduated from an Afrocentric preaching program, we adopted the Jinyame and the cross uh, on the on the epaulets of our of our robes, you know, up, up here on these the velvet panels, we put the Jinyame on one side and we put the cross on another side because both are Christian symbols in Ghana. The Jinyame is from an ancient uh, symbol language that is still in use in Ghana called the Adinkra symbols. And Adinkra symbols are often tant. Uh, on cloth. And every time you see the symbol, you're supposed to remember the proverb. And so it's a teaching, it's a wisdom teaching tool for teaching children and keeping the community uh, with the same body of knowledge about wisdom. And Jinyame means fear no one except God. And so um, I, I, I use that symbol a lot. Uh, I use it in some of my personal correspondences. I use it, I wear it in jewelry, I, you know, because it reminds me to walk fearlessly. It reminds me to walk fearlessly and to fear nothing but God. Uh, uh, you know, the, the, the gospel say, don't fear the one who could uh, kill you and they don't have anything else they can do to you. But fear rather the one who has the body uh, can take your body and put your soul in hell. So, you know, fearing, what kind of fears do we have? And uh, have we lost the fear of death? You know, during the movement, I'm a child of the civil rights movement. I went through drills uh, in when, when other kids were playing kickball in, in middle school, we were learning how to do nonviolent protests and we were doing simulations in the classroom in our extra credit time. You know, other people are out playing, you know, in, in other schools and other places. But down in Oklahoma, where I was, where we were very much a part of the movement, we were doing nonviolent simulations. And uh, we were learning how to protect vital organs uh, because they said it's better to break a wrist or, or this bone than to break your head. You know, there's, there's all this was going on. And then we were socialized to lose the fear of death. Because a lot of times the reason we don't do what we know to be the right thing is because we don't know if we want to die on that cross. You know, you, 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 those of you who are clergy, you know, you have to pick your cross that you're going to die on because you're going you're gonna to have to have a skirmish with the congregation about something. If you're in leadership, you're going to have a skirmish with people about something. If you're in justice ministries, you're going to have to have a skirmish. So you have to decide which one of these am I willing to pursue unto death. And so losing the fear of death is probably an important part of healing. Because if I die, to be absent in the body, is to be present in the Lord, you know? If I die, I know that I'm not just going into nothingness. There's, there's something else that God has in store for me. So can I lose 
the fear of death here on this earth walking among people that's that's a question to to wrestle with as we start looking at this whole issue of fear and so the genuine when i wear the genuine symbol and i have like i said several things with it on it in my in my home and, and and for my person to wear on my body it reminds me to lose the fear of death it reminds me to lose the fear of death Take a deep breath because we've been talking about fear and sometimes talking about things like this make you even a little bit anxious inside because of the thing that's in the air right now. The Lord is our light. We refuse to walk in confusion. The Lord is our salvation. We refuse to walk in fear. When pestilence stalks the land, when jobs are scarce, when the sound of war drums come too close for comfort. We refuse to walk in confusion. We refuse to walk in fear. The Lord is our light and our salvation. Whom shall we fear? Growing up uh, as a child in the South, in the segregated South, going to uh, segregated schools and, 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 and living uh, under the pall of fear to our community. Um, when I would go to church, you remember, I, some of you know that I didn't, I, I didn't grow up in a church family, but I got to go sometime with neighbors and friends and you know what, until I can make my own decisions for myself. Um, there was a song in the African-American community, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? And it's a, it's a rousing, moving song that fills up the entire room. And um, the uh, fearless Psalms, were read often in our congregation so that when people came to church on Sunday, they were being encouraged again and again and again, in spite of the fact that fear is a good idea because something could happen to you. Do not live in fear. Don't let fear overcome you and take you, take you captive. designed to be free. And when I am most anxious or feeling stuck or hemmed in, I think of Thich Nhat Hanh's words that letting go gives us freedom and freedom is the only condition for happiness. Juneteenth on June 19th, the official freeing of enslaved people from 1865 is one of the most important events in American history that many of us have only begun to learn about. This day of freedom, of liberation, even though delayed and denied, is still celebrated today. What other events in history or stories in our own family histories could provide us freedom if we only faced the awkwardness, the fear, or the pain head on. Jesus and the Spirit of God come to challenge and cast out every power that prevents us from living whole, free lives as beloved children created in God's image. Followers of the way, then and now, 
during the Southern Freedom Movement of the 50s and 60s, and even today as we organize for living wages and an end to senseless acts of gun violence. Know that upon encountering any of these demons, Jesus chooses life. Jesus always chooses the side of life with dignity lived out in community. Therefore, we have nothing to fear. Share this podcast with others. May it be a nudge, a guide, an honoring of intuitions you've long held, and a means for justice in your lives and in the lives of all. To hear more from faculty and wisdom guides like Safia, join us at the next online or in-person Academy retreat. For more information, visit academy.upperroom.org.